0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is a Design for Living big book meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. My name is Julianne and I'm a compulsive eater and your chairperson for today. To open the meeting, let us have a moment of quiet meditation followed by the serenity prayer. God. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. And wisdom to know the difference. We start this meeting by remembering our common purpose, to extend the heart and hand of the OA fellowship to those who still suffer. Let us be mindful of OA's unity with diversity policy, which respects our differences yet unites us in the solution to our common problem. Whatever problem you may have with food, you are welcome at this meeting. Today we are delighted to have Luann joining us to share her experience, strength, and hope on the topic we agnostics.
1: Welcome, Luann. Lovely to have you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, well, uh thank you for asking me to do a service. Uh my uh program is based on a lot of service and um yeah, I I never say no. Um so anyways, my name is Luann. I am a compulsive overeater and I live in uh uni- the United States in California, in Northern California in Grass Valley up in the Sierra Mountains. Um And this is a huge uh, part of my story because I I, um, came into OA seven years ago um, in 2016 from Southern California into a city, from a city. And we moved here a year later um, uh, onto 20 acres. And it was a huge, huge, huge change for me Um, Being a city girl to then having to be in the country, and um, I cried for six months. (laughs) Cried, and I was like, I just want to run away and go on a retreat and and just forget about all this. And I heard a voice in my head say, "Well, look out the window." And I'm like, my depression and tears just left me because I looked out the window, and I live. On 20 acres in a retreat setting, and so I my my whole I reframed the whole move um, in my mind to um, th- I, I'm on a retreat and I'm going to spend this time while I'm living here healing and um, really learned how to slow down because of uh, uh, of that voice that I heard in my head. So, um, so that's part of my story. Uh, just a couple other stats. Uh, My highest weight was above 191. I stopped getting on the scale after that, um, because that was my weight. I was when I delivered my son with my pregnancy. And I said, I was never going to get that high without being pregnant. And I did. And that, you know, (laughs) that was like the end. So I'm sure I was over 200 pounds. So I'm down to a normal body weight. I've maintained that um, for yeah. I think I, I released all that weight pretty much the first year, and um, with the help of an illness too. I got very sick uh, six months into my program, and um, and so I had a lot going on. Yeah, so it, it was it was huge. So I'm gonna just uh, jump right into we agnostics. So when I was asked to do this share for 15 minutes, you know, I, I, my ego jumps at it because I like talking and I think I want to be a teacher, but in more retrospect, I really like being a student. Um, (laughs) and as you know, the student and the teacher are same is the same coin, just one side of the coin and the other. So I, uh, I decided I was just going to read week Gnostics one paragraph a day and write on it. And so that's what I did. And so I guess I'm just going to go and review my writing because I woke up a few nights ago and <laughs> stressed out. How oh am I going to write? Got to figure out how I'm going to you know, share all this information and start doing bullet points. And then from my writing, and I thought it's all right here. So I'm going to start reading it. Um, And then hopefully it'll start flowing a little more relaxed and easygoing. So, so we agnostics is on, is in the big book on chapter four, page 44, um, in my edition of the uh, big book. And I don't know which edition that is, sorry. So, and I look at this as the uh, step to come to believe in a power greater than ourselves that can restore us to sanity. And so once I looked inside myself, and I can see the pain that I carried within myself, I I thought, I, you know, I, I when I walked in the room, I I had two choices. One is to lead to leave the pain where it is, and and continue to struggle with the outside world because my inside was so painful struggle, the outside world. And for me, that struggle comes down to relationships. Um, That's my primary focus. When I look at things, it's like, what's my relationship to people? What's my relationship to myself? What, and what's my relationship to the inner voices I have in my head. So, and then the other choice was too, I could decide to get rid of the praying pain and free myself to have fun and become comfortable with whatever happens and to have a healthy relationship. So I look at that, you know, us being in this room, few people dare to really go this route. And those of us who have walked in these 12 step rooms have a really unique opportunity. And the the big book spells out how to start to clean up this inside pain and surrender means giving up the struggle with the pain and stepping into the arena, confronting the pain and becoming free. So that's just kind of, you know, how I kind of look at my time in OA is that choice. So paragraph one, the the sentence that popped out at me was when we were honest that we wanted to stop eating and find myself unable to quit entirely or control the amount I wanted to take in I was probably a compulsive overeater so yes I'm like yeah I could not stop when I started and I had to admit I I was a compulsive overeater and that was that those were hard words to say the you know when I first when I finally started saying them I tried all types of diets and Weight Watchers and the HCG jo- uh, drops and the enemas and exercise and fasting, chewing gum, hypnotism. Uh, you know, nothing worked for long. Um, eventually I started eating again, gaining weight, beating myself up over it because I wasn't good enough. And, and each time I failed and uh, I started lost, losing trust in myself. And I I felt like I had compromised my integrity because I couldn't follow through with the rules that I set in my head. And I lacked the power to stop myself um, letting food become my God. And when I finally walked into the rooms of OA, I heard you guys say I, um, I was suffering from an illness that was a spiritual, that only a spiritual experience could conquer my problems. And so, um, on page 20 and 21 describes the, uh, different types of, um, so this was the next day. So of my studies, (laughs) so, um, describes the, the different types of Compulsive overeaters, the common type of person, well, this person isn't a common, this isn't a person, of a common type is not a compulsive overeater. They can take one bite and leave the rest. A moderate type can uh, give up certain foods if they have a good reason and a health issue or love. Um, A heavy and a hard type of compulsive overeater might have been moderate earlier in life, but generally... Uh, gradually become impaired. And and once they start eating, they can't stop. So God, I would love to be that first person, that, that common type where I could eat just one bite and, and leave the rest. And you know what? I have an imperfect abstinence. And sometimes I can do that. I can take one little bite and leave the rest or not even care. And then sometimes, well, I I haven't been a heavy type since I walked into the room. So that was lifted from me the day I walked in. Um, that was a, a miracle. Yeah, it's weird for me to even use that word miracle, because I, I kind of am an agnostic. <laughs> so even seven years into my program. So uh, on par- page 44, paragraph two, oh, that am 44 paragraph two, the one to one who's an agnostic or an atheist, such an experience seems impossible. I, I have, I call it spiritual trauma. That word God is a symbol for me. It symbolizes punishment, control, not good enough. And, and everything that i always strive for because i just never had i didn't i didn't have a positive experience when i was younger i i did go get into a religious institution and um it didn't it didn't go well i i it, it didn't feel right to me i kind of rebelled against the uh, dogma of it and um and i asked a lot of questions and that that's yeah it wasn't it wasn't supported and so these I'm very sensitive so these uh the shaming and the punishing and the condemning I got in there uh, affected me very easily and uh I, I I didn't learn anything in there in those rooms so when I came into OA and 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 had to start looking at a higher power I wasn't sure how I was going to do that. And, but I didn't want to, there's a one sentence in that paragraph. We either going to have to have, decide to have a painful death or we're going to have to uh, live on a spiritual basis. And I was tired of being in so much pain. So I thought I was going to just try this on um, and just see how it goes. So on page 44, paragraph three, hope against hope. We are not a true alcoholic. Well, yeah, I would do anything to sabotage that idea because I didn't want to believe. I knew I was an up. I, I, I knew I was a compulsive overeater, but I, you know, I just didn't, I, I didn't want to believe in God. So, you know, so it, it, it was that choice. So there was a part of me that hoped I wasn't a true compulsive overeater. Um, but when I looked honestly at my patterns of behavior, and I see I had no control over my compulsive eating, and and more importantly over my emotional state, that was more important to me than the eating. When I came into the rooms, is that I wanted to become emotionally sober instead of uh, emotion, you know, just emotional chaos. And so I I had the I had to face the fact that I, I must find a spiritual basis for my life um, to regain um, balance. On page 20, this isn't in the, we agnostics, but on page 20 in paragraph three, it says cheer up something like half of us thought uh, we were, or maybe it's on, yeah, well, we were agnostic or atheist. Well, I, I knew I was agnostic and I pushed against any of the feelings that God was being pushed on me. And I would fight and don't change me. You know, I was kind of, there's a rebel in me, but when I, I, I do, I study archetypal patterns. I, I study archetypal. I call, call them my guardians and, you know, a rebel is an archetypal pattern and part of the rebel is to it is not to fight against something but it's my the my, the rebel inside of me is really trying to teach me how that you know this this certain situation isn't fitting into my needs and that i need to start seeking other avenues and so i i um so my rebel became my liberator because it's really teaching me that this, this this a certain way I'm thinking isn't working. And so let's uh, let's look and liberate you to uh, um, gain some freedom. A mere more uh, code of morals, better philosophy did not save us. So I needed a new way of thinking, a new way of breaking down my old ways of thinking my old ideas of self-reliance that brought me to this point. This doesn't mean I push myself aside and succumb to the whims of other ideas of what a spiritual practice is. Um, this is the start of me becoming uh, coming up with my own ideas and conceptions of a higher power and being open-minded open-minded to a new experience and learning how to think on my own. Oh, that was a huge thing for me. I was such a, I was big in shape-shifting. I would shape-shift myself into trying to accommodate what I think the other person needed uh, to hear from me or to try to be more, you know, when I was in a, uh, in a religious institution, be more godly. And so, uh, it took me 50 years over 50 years to to start really learning to to think for myself and to question ideas and my thoughts. And so this was the first that step 2 was the first time I had to break down and analyze uh something about my thinking and my ideas and rebuild a new construct and a new way of thinking. So I'm going to throw a little history into this. I don't know how many people heard this, but uh, there's a psychologist, C.G. Young, he was a Swiss psychologist during this time when Bill was writing this book. And he contributed a lot to AA um, and was... uh, learning how to introduce, well, he was, he, he, he was trying to induce a spiritual experience with Roland Hazard, who was an alcoholic and um, Dr. Young. uh, He he himself was going through a spiritual transition when he was working with uh, Roland Hazard Um, and, and developing his technique of re of uh, getting a spiritual experience which was for him um and is to start identifying with these different voices in his head and start having conversations with them and he had a lot of conversations with god his ego and his higher self and so it was just interesting learning uh, about Carl Jung and he's big into symbolism and archetypes and the archetype of the addict is huge part of the big book well he Carl Jung the Dr Carl Jung and Bill Wilson had had uh, several conversations together regarding the contents of the big book so he he has a big influence on what what's happening so Dr. Young was treating Roland Howard Hauser for alcoholism and trying to induce this spiritual experience while he was having his own spiritual experience. And um he wrote his own big book. It's called The Red Book. Um, and it's all about his spiritual experiences. So, what does a spiritual experience look like? So for me. For me, that my experience spiritual experiences with the with all the voices in my head. This is you know talking to my attic, talking to my ego. I uh, I had a huge spiritual experience when I did the traditions. I studied the traditions and used those principles to to gain structure with these voices in my head. I created it like a um, like we do our meetings. I had preamble. I did this in writing. I did preamble. Everybody was allowed to share. There was no crosstalk. And um, lo and behold, my uh, the voices started uh, becoming very friendly. And they didn't hold a lot of power over me. So it it was about power. And, you know, the 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 transfer of power with me feeling powerless and these voices had all these power telling me to go eat do you know be mad at somebody and um and just being unhealthy and working the traditions and dealing with the these voices in a structured manner everybody became power were i, I didn't feel powerless anymore so having a healthy relationship inside of my head um, was part of my spiritual experience of gaining some um freedom to be able to live uh without having all that bullying and committee talking, the committee talking in my head. And I'm not sure where I picked that up from, but it's right in the uh, wheelhouse of Carl Jung and what his studies and his encouragement um, had did with Roland when he was treating Roland Hazard. So the lack of power was in page 45 on paragraph two, the lack of power was our dilemma. And we had to find a power which we could live by. And it had to be greater than ourselves. So the entire big book, this this whole, this one sentence, that's the thesis of our big, of the big book it is building on the emphasis of developing a spiritual awareness while confronting the complexities and multiplicities of our emotional life. That's, those are kind of big words, huh? I have an addict inside of me and, you know, I've heard people calling him Ed for eating disorder. And, um, and it felt like my eating disorder, Ed had all the power to force me to compromise my honesty and integrity. Uh, And his voice was so loud and so influential that I couldn't hear any other voice in my head, except this bullying voice that shamed me when my addict voice told me to go eat. And so I lacked any kind of power over that. It's a misconception of power. And it's that power that I wasn't, the power I used wasn't helping me gain the outcome I wanted. So I wanted a new relationship with my addict. I wanted a new relationship with myself and I want a new relationship with my family because my relationships were, were horrible before I came in. You know, I, I, my, my shtick was always, uh, I have relationship problems and I use food as my solution. So, so I had to figure out a different relationship with this power because my power wasn't working, you know, all the voices in my head had all the power, and um, so I first had to look at my religious experiences um, versus my spiritual uh, awareness. Um, that I kind of separated those two: uh, um, religion versus spiritual, because you know. I, I I rebel against I have the re, you know rebel against the religious institution that t- tells me how I must live and what I must do and if I don't do it I'm gonna go to hell versus spirituality where I can sit at, and um, commune with my higher power and uh, and it be okay that's why I love step three when it talks about of our choosing. I get a choice and no one, no one, no one is telling me how this relationship with my higher power is supposed to look like I get to choose what that looks like. I, that gives me freedom. And I, you know, it, it, that's what I look at in these rooms. When I walk into these rooms is the freedom. I want freedom. I want freedom from food obsession. I want freedom to be able to think things clearly and don't, and, and to have clear thinking, have healthy relationships inside and outside of me. And so, um, and my addict is is a very strong part of my emotional life. And so um, I had to break down that relationship with that addict and build a whole new relationship with it. You know, we, I needed to shift that power And so, um, and I wanted a structure to do that, that was understanding and kind and a service structure rather than a power structure. And that's one thing I love about OA is that OA is based on a service structure of pretty much how can I help you versus a power structure of let me tell you what you have to do but we're here to help each other to create unity not it, 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 not to tear each other down and to dominate and that's what my higher power in me having a healthy relationship with these voices in my head it's all about creating unity so some of the, some of us page 45 third third to the last paragraph of the of the page Some of us have been violently anti-religious. The word God brought up a particular idea of him uh, with which someone had tried to impress upon them during childhood. So how am I to overcome these thoughts and these emotional feelings around God and spirituality? On uh, the next paragraph on page 46, we talk about the term of God in a broad way, roomy and more inclusive. And yeah, you know uh i i use that word god a lot um but in my i've have to translate it the word god is not the same word that it was before when i was in the religious setting so i i have to translate it and become more tolerant and know and understand that that word means different things to different people so so um on page 47 uh on paragraph one and we speak to you of god it means your own conception of god and this applies to other this applies to other spiritual expressions which you may find in this book so don't let any prejudice this is what i hear in that sentence don't let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms deter me from honestly looking at myself and what spirituality means to me so for me, spirituality is taking the path of an open mind and the potential of what is. So spirituality is a curiosity of questions and seeking of those questions, seeking answers to those questions. I personally, I find God in my questions and I find God in my actions of seeking I still have that resistance to the word God even today, even though I've had a lot of experience, uh, spiritual experiences. Um, but my my God is very fluid, is very action oriented and um, and very he's uh, it's directive. You know, I get direction from my higher power there's one short question that I ask myself, am I willing to believe that there's a power greater than myself? And that's, that's actually in the book. So what is this potential in that tiny seed of asking? Yeah. I ask a lot of questions and sometime in my, in my spiritual program and and usually I ask more questions than the answers, but that's my higher power, likes me asking questions. So so what is the potential of, in seeking and questioning and exploring ideas that rub me the wrong way? And what is the potential of having an open mind and willingness to have a new experience? And so I, I ask myself these questions all the time. And it, it's been and in the book, they, they talk about this in the big book that it's repeatedly proven among us that a simple cornerstone, a wonderful, is a wonderful, the simple cornerstone, a wonderful, effective spiritual structure can be built. Well, for me, my structure is built on questions and the potential of those answers and an open mind. And that's it. I don't, I I don't, my my god isn't outside of me my god's my higher power is inside of me it's that small little voice that i practice learning to uh listen to it's subtle and they come fast and quick and um, i ask what i that's my spiritual practice because those are usually the ones the voices that are working towards me having integrity and honesty and pretty much the spiritual principles of these programs. So, um, in paragraph seven, um, in page 47, paragraph three, this paragraph talks about how, uh, you know, how uh, wanting what others have and, um, not their faith, but the results. So I don't, you know it's about i want the results that people have from their uh, spiritual experiences i'm comforted to learn that i can commence a, a a a spiritual life just by asking questions and so and exploring new ideas i don't have to put my blind faith into something that i don't believe in and so um God, that used to make me feel like I, I wasn't a good person, <laughs> but I, I don't have to have blind faith anymore. I I can, you know, I, I, just exploring and, and, and uh, with questions is enough to open the door. So we found ourselves handicapped by obscenities, sensitivity, and unreasonable prejudice. So these were leftover traumas, old, um, my old thought problems and taking everything personally. It was direct. Everything was directed at me. I, I took personally, uh, this was part of my victim mentality. I had everything, uh, was said to me, uh, caused me to think that, um, everyone had a prejudice against me. I had a lot of self-pity and blame. Uh, I put walls up from preventing myself from getting emotionally hurt. And then I would get, uh, you know, I would let those voices beat me up before I had a, a, a relationship with them. And so facing alcoholic destruction or becoming open mind on the spiritual matters as we had tried, to, um, be on other questions, but anyways, you know, I, I had to be open-minded to, uh, God and I had to lay my prejudice aside. I, I had to put aside my, my fears of what I thought was supposed to be and my, um, my ideas of what God was and my ideas of, about the religious institutions. You know, it took a lot of thought and a lot of, uh, of questioning and um, seeking answers, but it worked for me, you know, putting my prejudice aside, just not being uh, intolerant to myself and my ideas and just learning to reframe my thinking and making it a little more reframing being creative with my language. I would look up uh, a word. Find out, you know, look up a, a a similar word and maybe another word that meant the same thing felt a little softer to me. I would just change. It. I do that with the third step prayer all the time. I, I change the words in the third step prayer um, that uh have more reflection of how I feel. So we agnostics in in um is really trying to stage a move for me it was from moving the god from outside of me to inside of me from outer space to inner space um being involved in organized religion uh the stage is set for seeking god outside of me but hearing what god looks like and behaves didn't set well with me uh, yeah um it was just punishing and painful so I, you know, I'm going to skip over some of this because I'm, I'm putting names in here and I'm really, it's very important to me. Anonymity is very important to me. So let's see, Bill Wilson, um, in writing the steps is trying to get the reader to go inward, to find God. And what does that mean? Going inward, knowing oneself is the path to God. Uh, the steps are designed to help the process of understanding what make me tick. Uh, when Bill Wilson talked about electricity and how we uh, take it on faith that it will work. Yet most of us don't understand how it works. Is it something that is felt and, and see the results of turning on a switch and the light happens. Our body has a similar energy exchange system, have you ever talked to somebody and suddenly you felt a shift of in the dynamic of communication and it's like, there was a shift of energy and you felt like, wow, something just happened there. Well, that's the energy flow within our bodies that we have same like the wiring in our house. You can't see it happening, but you can feel it inside of you. And um, that energy shift this becomes very subtle for me. You know, I could sit in a meeting and someone share and you like, they say something and hit you and you're like, Oh, that's an aha moment. I heard something. Well, that's an energy shift. And then there's sometimes I'll sit in a meeting and someone just rubs me the wrong way. And um, that's an energy shift. So, so I look at the uh, uh, power I, I look at this energy shift as a, as a communication between me and my higher power, and uh, if it's a negative energy shift, or you know, I'm, I'm getting some resistance, then you know, then I need to be a little open minded, uh, some uh, bring in some tolerance, and just work on being more loving and kind uh, towards that person, not necessarily. Physically, I, I don't want to talk to that person, but it's internally, I, I want that. I I want to start having more loving, kind, kind thoughts towards people within me, because that's going to radiate out towards other people. So I see the, the agnostics as encouraging me to be open minded, not prejudiced and uh, not judgmental towards God, my God or anybody else's God. And the only way to do this is to go within yourself and to ask. Uh, well, for me, this is how I found the only way I found to do this is go within myself, and I ask myself questions and um, with open answer, you know, w- with an open mind to the answers. So my pain reaches for uh, logic and reason to fix it, and logic and reason doesn't always fix my pain, and. Just because I have a strong spiritual program and strong abstinence and uh, uh, doesn't mean I'm pain-free. I think that's part of the delusion of when I first walked into this room, I thought that, oh, once I do the steps and I get pain-free and abstinent, then I'll I'll never be pain. I'll never have pain again. And then if I did, I, I you know, I, then I would be questioning if I thought I was never going to have pain again. Then I would be questioning my God because for some reason, there, there's in general. I think uh, you know either if if you're happy, there's a God. If you're pain, there's no God. And I I wanted to find my higher power in between those two extremes. So when logic doesn't work, I have to go deeper into finding that solution. And and that's a spiritual experience uh, uh, through um, contemplation, uh, self surrender, musing. I do a lot of musing, uh, thinking about things. Not fighting, I, you know. I don't. I don't fight things anymore, and I don't try to um reason or logic out anything and think that it's going to be a lasting solution a lasting if i think something's a lasting solution that's going to bring me insan- bring insanity to me in paragraph 50 i'm page 50 sorry paragraph one we talk it talks about intolerance and while uh we were intolerant of ourselves and um You know, I I have to work on this all the time, my intolerance to people and um, and to myself. I my son and his wife lived with us for quite a for a few years and I'd get mad at my daughter-in-law and I'd have judgments and be intolerant to her. But then I would come and do my work and ask my my questions of, you know. How do how you know how how does this relate to me and my spiritual practice? You know why? What is she doing that's making me mad? What am I doing that? What expectation do I have of her that might be unattainable? And so um, I always go back to the traditions on my relationships on how to have them. I look at the steps as a to work on me and how to have a relationship with me and an internal peace and the traditions is uh, um, on how to have relationships with other people. And I I use them all the time. And that's why I have them up in my, in my wall. (laughs) You know, I think trauma is such a big word nowadays that people are using and um, spiritual trauma is it's definitely something that I think all of us need to uh, or if you if there's you have that rebel in you, like I had that rebel in me. I, I had to really look at that trauma past, you know, and that that uh, trauma from my religious experiences and um, mental time
0: reminder. Luanne.
1: Oh, five more minutes. Oh, OK. Oh, I'm going to run through. Oh, thank you. See, I can jabber on. I hope I'm not boring, you guys. So, I, I, I you know, I'm going to just conclude with this is that I think we need to, I needed to sweep away my prejudice enable uh, me to think on, to enable me to think honestly, encourage me to search diligently within myself um, if I wished to have some peace and freedom. And with this attitude, the book, the big book says, with this attitude, you cannot fail. Uh, The uh, consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you. I'm gonna end with uh, Teddy Roosevelt from one of his talks where it says, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how strong a man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives uh, violently, who errs, who comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error or shortcomings, but who does actually strive to do the deed, who knows great enthusiasm, great devotion, who spends some who spends himself in a worthy cause, who, at the best, known in the end, the triumph of high achievement, who, at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring daring greatly. So this is a place she'll, so this so that that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. So I love this thing because this the the this part of Teddy Roosevelt's speech because it's it sums up the courage it takes to do this work and to really dive into the 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 spiritual part of this program because that's where the transformation comes, and um, I hope that that everything was cohesive and. <laughs> Thank you for letting me be of service.
0: Thank you so much, Luann, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope on We Agnostics. We will now be transitioning to a question and answer segment. Um, I'd like to introduce Violet, who is our moderator for today.
2: Thanks, Julianne. My name is Violet. I'm a positive eater and your moderator for today. So our first question came in. Earlier uh, in the talk, Luann and you you used I think used the phrase imperfect abstinence, um, and so the question is, what does imperfect abstinence mean to you, and how do you describe imperfect
1: abstinence? Mm, thank you. That's a great question. Um, I muse over that question a lot. <laughs> I ask myself that all the time. I I'm still a compulsive overeater, so I still Mm-hmm. I, 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 I still use food sometimes to deal with my emotional unrest and imperfect abstinence looks to me like, so if I have uh, an imperfect day, I don't beat myself up over it anymore. And I don't say F it that, you know, the bottom line is, is if I say F it, and then I just run like a bat out of hell and start eating everything then that's, then, then I've had a relapse. But if I, if I had like my, my imperfect abstinence would be like, oh, you know, I'll get grabbing an extra handful of, of peanuts. And um, I used to beat myself up over that. But the next day I'm right back on my, on my food plan. Um, then that's an imperfect abstinence you know, I, I might have, you know, a couple months, a few days in between, um, where I have some emotional upset and I use food, but I, I, I never go to the point where I just say F it and then, uh, and then eat like bad out of hell. You know, it, it, I'm still going to be a compulsive overeater. I'm still gonna I'm still human. My compulsive overeating is part, my addict is part of who I am and I have to embrace it. And I don't wanna, you know, I'm never gonna get rid of it. That my my addict is my path to spirituality. Yeah, that answered your question.
2: Thanks, Luann. Um, so I'm gonna group the uh, uh, several questions that came up in the chat, um, I'll group them together. Um, so, if it sounds repetitious, um, it's because I'm reading it several questions. Do you have set spiritual practices and can you talk about them? Can you describe your daily practice and what do you actually do? Maybe those yeah. are two separate ones spiritual practices and daily practice.
1: Yeah, thank you. Those are great questions. So, m- my daily practice is my spiritual practice. Uh, I get up every morning. Uh, I, I sit with my husband for about 15 minutes and we kind of, you know, do a little chit chat and see how things are going, um, how we slept and what the plan is for the day. And then I have my I have a room is dedicated to just me. And I, yeah, I do my meditation in here. I do my writing. So I, I, I come and I, you know, it, I do a spiritual dump, an emotional dump. I do journaling. I'll just I'll write out the set aside prayer or the third step prayer and whatever's in disturbing me that day, I'll just write uh, randomly. Uh, Whatever's going on, I just write. And then um, I usually do some meditation, but like, it just depends, like I always have a focus. So, you know, when I was working on the We Agnostic, then I would get up, I would come in here and, and read a paragraph, whatever popped out at me with the sense that popped out at me then I would write about it so I did that with the traditions that's how I that's how I do all my my spiritual work is that I'll you know whatever I'm focusing on I'll just read a paragraph and then I write on it but I turn everything into a spiritual practice like if I have to go uh you know for a walk then that's my spiritual practice I go for a walk and it's like you know that's going to help me with my integrity and my honesty and my health i'm not a i'd rather be busy doing something productive than exercise so that's the other thing being productive is a spiritual practice for me and so i count that as exercise in a spiritual practice so <laughs> yeah so that's that's my day i usually spend probably about an hour sometimes give or take every day um meditating yoga reading writing i meet with my sponsor although i don't we don't call each other sponsor and sponsee anymore uh we're more of a fellow travelers and we talk twice a week we can probably talk eight hours you know but we we're we're we've we have a focus that we're always on uh we're not on the same path, but we always have a similar focus that we're doing. Um, and so we talk about that. So um, and that's my, a big part of my spiritual practice. I hope that helps. Thanks,
2: Luann. Um, our next question uh, is, um, you talk about having a conversation or a relationship with the inner voices um dealing with the voices in a structured manner is that done through step four process like how does that relate to step four and are there worksheets
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) thank you yeah um i don't have any worksheets (laughs) i did do a i did do a um a workshop on it um a two-day workshop and it was uh it's a lot of information so how I started doing that is I was doing the the tradition uh study and we started January 1st a paragraph a day and I got to the point where it says it started talking about groups I think it was like on tradition three where the only requirement for a OA membership is a desire to stop eating. And then I thought, well, God, I got this committee up here. And so I'm like, why can't I, you know, make these traditions used for this committee? And so I have, I do have a whole, I have rewritten the 12 traditions for a spiritual for the committee upstairs. Um, you know, that are my, the common welfare of, of, of Luann it, it, it is the, um, it tradition one it, is unity. That's my goal. So how I do it is I, I, uh, don't have, um, I'll, I'll, I'll do the preamble. I'll do all this on the computer doing writing. So I'll do, I'll write out the preamble of our meetings, you know, no crosstalk and, um, no bullying. Um, everybody gets a chance to share. Um, there's only one authority, which is the higher power. Nobody has authority over, it, and we just trusted servant. So sometimes a trusted servant is my addict and is really loud. And sometimes it's uh my rebel. It's whatever voice is is the loudest, that's the trusted servant. And so as we do in these rooms, is we we pay respect to the people who are doing service. I have to pay respect to the voice in my head who is doing service, the loudest one, and ask them, well, what do you need? You, you seem, you know, what what do you what do you need? And I also have a focus to that to my my spiritual meetings as well, and um, whatever's bothering me that day, and I'll let each. Each voice speak to that uh, topic without cross talking or blaming or point finger pointing. So it's a whole process, and I can um, put my phone number in the chat if somebody wants to contact me um, to get more information on how do I how I do it. <laughs> it's a, it's a process and it takes a while. I felt psychotic initially when I was doing it because it was hard to verbalize what I was doing. Um, but I've been practicing this for quite a few years now and then finding out that Dr. Young, uh, had done this in his practice. Um, it really, he intrigues me now. Um, and then finding out that he, you know, he's part of the big book. You know, part, he had a, a big influence on the big book. That it just solidified uh, more of my spiritual program. So I hope that answered any questions. Thank, thank you, Luann. Um,
2: next question: You said in your in you said you practice learning to listen to the soft voice. And the question is, can you give an example or two of what you do, what your actual practice is, looks like, in order to learn to listen to that soft voice?
1: Yeah, these are great questions. So, um, I it's well, it, it starts with meditation, and, and um, I started meditating um, probably about three, three and a half years ago. And um just watching my voices, watching, um listening, you know, it 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 actually started when I did the tradition work. It was before meditation. It, you know, when I have conversations with these different voices, I actually start understanding their personalities. And so even though so when the voice is talking to me i kind of hear who it is because i've gotten to know their personalities um you know the attic always has something around food and um but it's always focused on honesty and integrity for me um and so when i'm when i started meditating and i started talking to these voices in my head and no i'm not uh (laughs) schizophrenic um It it helped. I I can start hearing it. And, you know, in communication, part of this is the other thing I've been really focused on is my communication is really listening. I I love to talk. I love to hear myself jibber jabber, and I want to be heard. I want to be seen and I want to be noticed. And so, but I, I have to work on being humble because my addict just doesn't like food it likes getting the arrogance getting fed and so that that uh, that's part of the integrity of learning how to for me how to be humble and and sitting quietly and listening so if I I have to start doing that within myself before I can start doing it with other people um, outside of me so meditating meditation had given me the opportunity to watch my voices and just to be present and, and uh, acknowledging them. And I don't think meditation for me, isn't meant to keep this quiet. It's heat to keep me aware of what's going on in here. All I need to do is just sit and watch. I don't have to engage. I can just notice. And so that helped me, helps me fine tune those, uh, my listening skills, um, for that small, still voice. And I don't always want to listen to it. Like 10 minutes before this talk, you know, I was going to watch a little TV and I heard this little voice said, you should go meditate. I'm like, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, it's like, I I'm going to do it. The, 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 those little voices come fast and quick and they speed by but I, it's a spiritual practice for me to try to listen to them as much as possible when I, when I, when I'm aware that they're talking to me. That's. I hope that answered your question.
2: Thanks, Luanne. Um, another question: I bristle when I hear the word God. How can I get over this? What do you actually do to let that go on a daily basis?
1: Well. Um, that for me, that was the rebel inside of me. Part of the archetypal pattern of a rebel is to fight against, uh, push against what doesn't set well inside of me. So I, I, I reframe that rebel in, in, um, or you know, people can say the unwillingness or the bristleness is really trying to communicate something to me like, okay, so this, that, that, that word God isn't, um, is causing me, you know, some bristling is because I have this, this frame of reference of what God is, which is causing a trauma response. That's what that bristling is in, and so I want to be liberated from that. So my rebel, I, I reframe it to the that this rebel is trying to tell me that you need to look for other options, uh, a, another way of looking at things. So to liberate me from that, what's is holding me down. So I hear when when you get bristled that, you know, to ask questions what is my god this is what my old god looks like when i first came into oa my my sponsor told me to write uh, a help wanted ad so on the left side fold a piece of paper in half on the left side she had me write everything i thought about what god was and that's what made me bristle and then everything i wanted god to be was on the right side of the paper and so that was my first, my first experience of of changing and reframing what I thought God was by doing that exercise. And so I threw out all that and it still comes in. I still, even at this, you know, Just mentioning the word God, I still get a physical response, but then I always have to remind myself well, that's my old, that's the old God. That's the God outside of my inside. God is a God of action, is a God that gives me direction, you know, and it's in here. No one can tell me what that is supposed to look like because everybody has a different perception of what God is. And so, It gives me freedom to look at, um, to be able to think for myself, uh, and to be independent in that area. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we put so much shame if uh, I did, I put so much shame if I'm not conforming to the, uh, um, what's what I think society wants for me. I'm, I'm, I'm designing my own, uh, higher power uh, step three gives us that opportunity to do that it says of our choosing so um, anyways thank you I hope I answered that question thanks Luann
2: a similar question but slight different perspective if you sponsor how do you sponsor a sponsee um, who engaged in the book who may not like, how? sorry, how do you keep a sponsee engaged in the steps in the, in the fellowship who may not like seeing the word God in so many places in the big book and in our literature?
1: Yeah, uh, thank you. That's a really good question. Uh, I stopped taking responsibility for trying to engage the person. All I can do is my sponsees now. I used to be overly responsible and thought that I was the one that had to help change them. And, um, I I've given that job up. Uh, all I can do is present my experience, strength and help and what I've done and uh, my perspective. And if they're willing to do the work and, and to, uh, ask themselves these hard questions and and seek those answers, um, then they're going to find them. But I, I don't try to force anybody or to, you know, it's not my responsibility to change somebody. It's my responsibility to, you know, how can I help? But, and the the other thing, too, when I sponsor sponsor, I had to realize, you know, healing healing takes time. It's a slow process. When our physical body heals, you know, it's it's not it it's not an overnight matter you know, if the wounds are deep, it, it could take months. I, uh, I, I had a surgery on my face. Um, I, you probably can't tell, but I have a big scar running down my face. And that was eight weeks ago, but it, you know, it's still there and it, it, it'll go away. It's going to take a year. And I have to constantly remind myself that these emotional wounds that we carry, they take a long time to heal too. Um, and it, it's slow and steady. And I, I just encourage, uh, my sponsees to, you know, I, I just share my experience, strength and hope. And I, I don't set up rules. Where you have to call me every, you know, once a week or every day and you have to, you know, make three phone calls. I just, you know, this is what I do. And I give suggestions and I let them set their pace. And don't have any expectations. And actually, I'm actually more successful. I feel more empowered when I do that. And I think my sponsees I have now feel more empowered um, by the way I sponsor, because they they they're finding inside of them how to to live this lifestyle instead of selling telling them some telling them what to do and how to do it. Um, in a dogmatic way. Thank you.
2: Um, another question: Can you talk about how you went about transforming your relationship with ED? You mentioned the
1: uh, oh, with Ed, my eating Ed, disorder, ED my voice. addict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it was slow and steady. <laughs> You know, that's the thing, you know, uh, I, I, I think I don't. When I walked into the rooms, I knew that food was the solution to my problem and that my problem was emotional sobriety. I didn't have any. And so I, all my decisions I've made Regarding my food really didn't have to do with food. It had to do with my emotional sobriety and my emotional well-being. Um, when I first walked in, I, I was like, I'm never gonna weigh and measure my food ever, ever, ever. It was a big F no. Uh, and um so uh But then two years in, you know, someone said at a meeting, everything feels like hunger. And I, you know, every emotion feels like hunger. And I'm like, yeah, because I still, even though I was abstinent from the two substances, I didn't want to eat anymore. I knew I couldn't um, at that time. um, I still had a lot of emotional upsets. And so I thought, okay, I want to, I want to figure out how to get emotional stable. How am I going to deal with what's hunger and what's emotion? And so the only way I can come up with the idea is to weigh and measure my food. Like, so, okay. So I found a sponsor who knew how to weigh and measure her food. And uh, she taught me how to do it and helped me with a food plan. And so, but I was willing to weigh and measure my food because if, if I got hungry between my meals, I knew it was an emotion because I knew I was getting enough nutrition in, in me that I didn't have to worry. Cause I always had that thought of, oh, I'm going to be malnutrition. I'm going to starve to death, or this is too much. I did a lot of shitter chatter around food. But when I started weighing and measuring and knew I was meeting my nutritional needs because um, uh, it was balanced. A nutritionist had organized uh, the f- food plan. It wasn't made up by me. It was made up by a professional because, you know, one of our traditions is we're non-professional, you know, and so I'm not a professional dietitian. So, you know, I, I need to go to a professional or, or follow a food plan that was made by a professional. So, um with me, that that helped control the eating. and then I got to deal with my emotional aspect. And being dealing with my emotional aspect allowed me to start hearing those voices and for what they were, and understanding that, my eating disorder really wasn't a, it, it wasn't about the food it was about honesty integrity. Um, I keep going back to that because that's the everything that I've learned from my eating disorder is really about honest integrity and the relationship between people outside of me, people you know within me and my voices and my decision and my choices. And so um so it just it just, It just happens as long as I'm working on it, on, on something, whatever is coming to my mind that I'm, I'm walking the path and it's going to take me where I need to go. I have enough faith in my path, in this path of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions that it's going to take me where I want to go. That's where my faith is really. And so.
2: You just got to do the work. Thank you, Luann. Um, okay, it's coming up on 10 minutes um, to the hour, um, so the Q&A time has uh, come to an end, um, and I'm going to now hand the meeting back to Julianne. Thank you so much, and thanks, Luanne. Seventh tradition.
0: According to our seventh tradition, we are fully self-supporting through our own contributions As we have now moved to virtual meetings, it is important that we continue to be fully self-supporting by contributing our seventh tradition to OA. This allows Overeaters Anonymous to continue to carry the message to those who still suffer. You are able to send your donations through our website, which is www.ad4l.info. For those of you able to see the Zoom chat, the link will be posted there. And thank you for your support. It is much appreciated. Uh, Think about how much you would normally put in a basket at a face-to-face meeting and transfer this amount. The next meeting, a reminder that um, a Design for Living Big Book OA is a daily meeting. We are based out of Melbourne, Australia. The recording from today's workshop will be available on our website where you can also find out about other upcoming events and speakers Visiting, visit our website at www.adthenumber4l.info our next month speaker series will be held on sunday june the 11th at 7:30 a.m. melbourne time the topic will be how it works and we hope to see you there In closing, I would like to thank you all for your service in coming here today, and especially Luann for sharing. By following the 12 steps, attending meetings regularly and using the OA tools, we are changing our lives. You'll find hope and encouragement in Overeaters Anonymous. To the newcomer, we suggest attending at least six different meetings to learn the many ways that OA can help you. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. Please remember our commitment to honour each other's anonymity. What you hear here, whom you see here, when you leave here, let it stay here. Let us all reach out by telephone or email to newcomers, returning members and each other because together we get better. And to close the meeting, will Kathy L. please unmute
3: and read the promises. These are the promises. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us we will suddenly realize that god is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves are these extravagant promises we think not they're being fulfilled among us sometimes quickly sometimes slowly they will always materialize if we work for them